0: and was about to begin CPR, a pair of strong hands pulled her to her feet. Man, said the police officer, we are trying to arrest this man. <laughs> Sometimes as women, it almost feels like we're responsible for saving the world. Mm-hmm. Author Meg Meeker says it this way, your beliefs about your worth as a woman and a mother may be skewed Because you live in a world that doesn't like you very much. It tells you to keep up with too many things at once. And since you can't, you work faster and you work longer. And still, you feel like a failure in whole or in part. There is the lie in the whole mess. You are not a failure. But you feel like one. We are super critical because we heap unreasonable expectations on ourselves. We tell ourselves we should be great listeners, psychologists, cooks, breadwinners, sports fans, bedtime storytellers, caregivers, schedulers and room moms, and that's just to name a few. No matter how we do well, how well we do in one area, we feel like we're falling short in another.
1: Um, so those are just some things that, that come from that book, but I want to hear from some of the, the ladies in the room or the moms. What are some of the expectations you feel are placed on you that just feel like it's impossible to, to live up to? I know that you guys are really awesome, so just pretend. School, school lunches every every day. <laughs> <laughs> something good. <laughs> what else? They, they keep needing to eat. <laughs> what is the deal? Do something that
0: matters besides being your kids alive. That's good. Right. Yeah. They're only one tiny thing you need to do. You have yeah. Something bigger to live for. Right? What else do you
1: do besides yeah. seeing them <laughs> all? I think
0: what our kids are supposed to look like. Like, there's. Like you were saying, there's a lot of what moms are supposed to look like, but there's also a lot about what our kids are supposed to look like. Like, they're supposed to be, you know, I just feel a lot of pressure that I'm like, if he's not reaching out to the lonely kid at school, like, what, I'm raising an animal, you know? Like, <laughs> if he's, like, not, you know, if he's not reading by the time he's done with kindergarten, like, what, I mean, why, let's just pull him out at school. You know, it's just, like, all this pressure of, like, what Elliot should be. And then it, if you not those things, then it must be a direct representation of how
1: we're parenting. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So there are all sorts of pressures, lots of pressures. Uh, that we could sit here and just list the pressures that, that moms feel um, for, for a long time this morning. Guys... Uh, I don't want to leave you guys out of this um, because just as much as moms feel like and and women feel like they have to live up to a certain job description, uh, guys, we also feel like we are called to live up to things and to perform at a certain (coughs) level. And I think a lot of times what happens is uh, we feel like we're just kind of faking it. And hopefully nobody figures out that we really don't know what we're what we're doing. We don't know how to how to pull it off. We feel like uh, we need to be respected, that we need to be so far along in our lives and our careers to have something to show for ourselves. And we're worried that we're not quite making it. We're not cutting it. We're not living up to that expectation. And the truth is that both men and women have a common enemy who wants to twist our God-given roles and our identities and make us feel that we're never quite measuring up. At the heart of this lie is the problem that we keep looking to all the wrong places to try to feel good enough and valuable. Um, I, I recently read a, an article about Brad Pitt. Uh, I don't read. I don't sit around and read lots of articles about bad Brad Pitt. I mean,
0: he, he is he is my role
1: model in many ways. But so. It, out of the blue, I was reading an article about Brad Pitt, and um, it's just one more. Uh, and this is a recent article, it was his first interview since uh, his his breakup with Angelina. And
0: um, <laughs> yeah, um,
1: and so and it was just one more example of someone who, in 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 terms of you know society's viewpoint of. You know who has made it and who has not. You know, you take someone like Brad Pitt, and like, you know, you got the looks, you got the fame, you got the fortune, you got the wife and the family, and you just, you know, you've got everything. And yet, his confession about what ended his his marriage is uh, is a drinking problem that's existed since he was out of college. That every day he's he's intoxicated himself in some way. And I mean, and that's that's public public knowledge from an interview. But I just think. Isn't that just show that even if we made it, even if all these voices that said you need to measure up to this, even if somehow we lived at a certain level, it's still an, an emptiness. And, and the people that seem to have made it in our society, often their lives break down very soon after making it because it's not sustainable. It's still it's not filling people up. And, and I think that's just a truth. So in John, chapter four, uh, if you want to turn in, in your Bibles, we're going to uh, go kind of back and forth in, the, in that in this chapter. But um, if you turn to the story of the woman at, at the well, the disciples and Jesus are wandering through a little sliver of land <clears throat> on a map that houses an entire people that don't seem to measure up. Uh, these are the Samaritans. These are the people that... Um, In their in their history and their heritage, they had Jewish Jewish heritage. And yet they had intermixed and intermingled, intermarried with different peoples. And so now they were (laughs) despised by their neighbors, their Jewish neighbors on either side, because they just they weren't real Jews anymore. In fact, they they were they just did not measure up. And on top of that, you've got you've got the Samaritans who don't measure up even more so the women in this culture. Um, are often considered less than. They are subservient. Uh, they are not trustworthy in court. They're not considered as important. Um, they're not considered trustworthy in court. And, and amongst these Samaritan women, there's a woman that doesn't even fit into that strata of society. There's a woman who has to, in her daily chores, to go out and get water. She has to go by herself instead of with all the other women because she just doesn't fit in. Because she has also been rejected as not, not good enough. And it's because of the choices she made, she's made um, and, and all these things that have made her who she is at that moment. And as, you, as we learn about this woman, we find out that it seems like all of her life she's been chasing after something. She's been chasing after acceptance or love or value in such a way. And she's been looking for that in terms of relationships. And so she's, she's gone from one relationship to another, one marriage to another. She, it, it turns out she's been married five times. And uh, and which was would be scandalous back then. And even now, you you know, we're not people don't look up to uh, people that have had that many relationships. Uh, Not only that, but she's now living with someone that's that's not her husband. And so that's another scandal on top of the rest of it. And so at this, this is the woman that Jesus ends up meeting in this place and in this time. This is a woman that I think is is chasing after relationship because she feels that pressure to make something of her life, to find something, to find this value, and she's looking at it in the wrong places. It seems like the world and its voices condemn her, the world is against her, and it looks like in her story, uh, she uh, is not the winner, she's, she's lost in her story.
0: But then, seemingly by accident, she meets Jesus, and it was certainly against all cultural norms that the woman finds herself being addressed by a Jewish man asking her for water. Will you give me something to drink? Jesus said to her. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gifts of God, and who it is that asked you for a drink? You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She then asked him how exactly he's going to provide this living water. And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Notice what Jesus says here. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Do you ever notice that our need to be esteemed well by others, to measure up as a mom, for all of us to be good enough? It's kind of like the thirst that is never quenched. And I think Jesus knows exactly how we're feeling. And his answer is not a way to get the world to like us. His answer isn't a means to, the, to um, be perfect in the world's job description. It's to come to him and be in his presence and receive a gift, living water. Like rest for our heart's soul. And I know some of you are feeling weary this morning. Weary from trying to be everything to everyone. What if Jesus is coming to sit by you right now and he's offering you living water to quench your spiritual thirst?
1: So when Jesus uh, sits down with us and we are in his presence and we listen to his voice, we begin to be filled up. It's like that water, and it starts to fill us up. It's this living water in his presence, and it starts to make us who God intended us to be, who God designed us to be. We see this, this woman at the well, and it's like Jesus is, is painting a picture for her of this new reality to be in. And he doesn't say it all in these words, but basically he's saying, you know, when you drink deeply from what the water I have for you, it's going to change your world. You're going to be different. You're no no longer going to be the one that doesn't measure up. In fact, I'm going to use you for my purpose. You're going to be made for how I designed you to be from the beginning. And what I love is that this woman goes from outcast to ambassador, because right after she has this encounter with Jesus, she goes back to the village that seemingly despises her. And she goes and she starts to tell them the story. She tells them about Jesus and she convinces them to come out and, and meet Him and listen to Him. And that's when John says at the end of this story, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Him because of this woman's testimony. She's gone from untrustworthy to trusted testimony. I love that. When God makes us... He sees us as valuable. He sees us as something beautiful, like we sang earlier. Something that's very good. When, when God made man and woman, uh, when we read in Genesis 1, and He made everything else. He said, it's good. And then He makes us and He says, it's very good. But our value and our worth are not achieved. They are derived from Him. Let me say that again. Our value and our worth are not achieved by us. They are derived. It's the it's drinking the living water from Jesus, his presence, that allows this Samaritan woman to be who she was made to be, who God made her to be. So despite the lies that we hear, the lies in this world, you are greatly valued. You are loved and valued by God. Uh, Let me let me read you from Psalm 89. This is a psalm about David. And um, in verse 19, if you'd like to turn there, Psalm 89, verse 19. So the psalmist says of God, once you spoke in a vision to your faithful people, you said, I have bestowed strength on a warrior. I have exalted a young man from among the people. I have found David, my servant. With my sacred oil, I have anointed him. So you can see how God has chosen and honored David. And he's given him strength and he's made him a warrior. And, um, and he's highly esteemed both by God and by other people. Uh, the, when he says um, he's given him strength, this is the uh, Hebrew word called Azer or E-Z-E-R. And uh, we're going to go back to that in a minute. Um, but he's given him this strength. But if we continue reading uh, in the verses below, he then goes on to say, my hand will sustain him. Surely my arm will strengthen him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down his adversaries. My faithful love will be with him and through my name, his horn, which is a symbol of power, will be exalted. So I want you to see the relationship here between the value and the strength that David has and the sustenance and the provision that God has. In other words, David's going to be able to do all these great things. He's valuable. He's strong. And yet God is going to do the heavy lifting. He's going to do the work. He is surrounding David by his unfailing love. And so that's the beauty of the picture, I think, for us, too. There's a sense in which uh there in the kingdom of God. The beauty is that we are totally loved and valuable by our creator. That's who we are. And yet we are totally dependent on him. For our identity, does that make sense? We're not free agents able to obtain all that we were made to be on our own. We, it is derived from God in filling us up and surrounding us and helping us be who we were made to be.
0: So Paul mentioned <coughs> the word "azer" in Psalm 89 that describes strength and health given to David. Did you know that this word, "azer" is the same word used to describe Eve when God created her in Genesis 2.18? And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I shall make a helpmeet for him. The Hebrew phrase, "azer connecto, do not quote me on that pronunciation, is what God uses to describe Eve. And it was eventually translated into English as helpmeet which, and some say, helpmate. How many of you women feel really often when you hear that you were created to be helpmate? Anybody?
1: I'm always like, what's for dinner, helpmate? And she never replies well to that. Yeah, that always goes
0: over the well. <laughs> <laughs> but the word for help, "Azer" in Hebrew, is translated as strength when referring to David in Psalm 89, Almost every other time the word is used in the Old Testament, it's in reference to God coming to save. So I'm just going to quickly read a few of these other things. Deuteronomy 33:29, Blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and your helper, or your azer, and your glorious sword. Psalm 124, 8. Our help, our azer, is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm thirty-three twenty. We wait in the hope for the Lord. He is our help, our azer, and our shield. In Genesis two, eighteen, the added word connecto means alongside of, corresponding to, so perhaps strong companion or face to face source of strength. Would be the better translation than help meets. Moms and women, some of the voices that have made you feel less than have come from, may have come from unexpected sources. You may have even been taught that your identity as a helpmate justified those feelings. But do you see, rather than being less than, we are actually made to be like our father God? who comes alongside in strength to aid and to protect, we were made in God's image to show a part of His very nature. And when we live into that identity, it's a good thing. It's a very good thing. Men and women, we were created in the image of God to be like Him. In Christ, we are strong and full of life, just like our Father. He wants us to live into every bit of that identity. But it won't come through striving to be everything to everyone. Like Adam and Eve, we may be tempted to be God himself. Not just made in his image.
1: So I want you to imagine with me for a second two pictures. Uh, There's one picture of a life of striving, a life of trying to put on a face of being good enough for everybody, but feeling like a failure deep down. uh, Of expectation after expectation after expectation placed on you and this burden that you're carrying around with you. That's one picture. Jesus paints another picture. And in this picture, you are made as someone that is full of value. You are made as someone that is lovable and loved. And he has this water for you. And the more that you drink of that water, the more you become who you are. And you see that the water is spending time with Him, spending time in His presence, and and it's a rich time to spend time with Him. And the more that you drink of that water, you just start to come alive. You start to become who He made you to be. So I want you to to see those two pictures. And really, there's a choice to be made. This is the good news that Jesus says, I have to offer you. He says... I can't promise you that you can be good enough on your own. That's not the promise. The promise is is that when you come and you drink from my water, I will make you who you were made to be. And it is beautiful and it is good and it's wonderful. And you're not on your own in this. Or the other choice is to say, I'm going to keep trying to to make it on my own. So we have a choice this morning. Um, In a moment... Uh, we're going to finish up with a time of silence, and Julie's going to direct us in that, and that'll be finished by the Lord's Prayer. Um, who's leading communion this morning? Okay, Ballards, thank you. Um, so I, I want you guys to, to, to think of this time this morning that flows into communion as all connected. Okay, these are not just separate moments for us. These are all connected, and... And really, as we, as we say, Jesus is the host of the table. I want you to imagine this moment as a time for you in this picture of, of what Jesus has to offer to sit down and to talk or to read, wrestle or to listen to Jesus about what he has for you to this morning, what he wants for you to, to get. And so um, as we take communion and we'll kind of, we'll kind of get up and, and move around and the ballads will give us instructions, there'll be some chance uh, to... Interact with each other To smile To hug To offer Greetings And and encouragement Um, It's also a chance Again As we In the silence As you listen to Jesus If you're wrestling And and you're like I just need to I need to get something Off my chest I need to share A struggle I'm having It's a chance To interact with each other So I want you to use That space Of the table And time together Uh, We'll have a few extra minutes Just use it as a time for, For connection and greeting, and also um, for, for sharing what your needs are. Um, and you and, and I are, will be available for any prayers that need to, to be prayed. If you want to come find us, we'll just be over, over here somewhere.
0: All right, so um, we're about to have just a moment of silence, like Paul said, but I want to try something a little bit different. So if you guys will just be there uh, with me. I want you to close your eyes, if you will, and um, I want you to picture in your mind's eye that Jesus is sitting with you today as He sat with a Samaritan woman. You can picture yourself at the well or in a place you're just really comfortable. Take a few deep breaths and know that you have nothing to fear or be anxious about. Jesus, we welcome you here and ask for your presence today. Please come in a special way. As we're silent and we continue praying, believe in your heart that he is near. Imagine he's sitting next to you. Listen to what he has to say. Tell him whatever question it is that you have. Ask him how he sees you, ask him for a picture, ask him what his job description is for your life. And then just listen.